My name is Zach Arnold. I'm a Hollywood film and television editor, a documentary director, father of two, an American Ninja Warrior in training, and the creator of Optimize Yourself. For over 10 years now, I have obsessively searched for every possible way to optimize my own creative and athletic performance, and now I'm here to shorten your learning curve. Whether you're a creative professional who edits, writes, or directs, you're an entrepreneur, or even if you're a weekend warrior, I strongly believe that you can be successful without sacrificing your health or your sanity in the process. You ready? Let's design the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast. If you're a brand new optimizer, I welcome you and I sincerely hope that you enjoy today's conversation. If you are inspired to take action after listening today, why not tell a friend about this show and help spread the love? And if you're a longtime listener and optimizer OG, welcome back. Whether you're brand new or you're a seasoned vet, if you have just 10 seconds today, it would mean the world to me if you clicked the subscribe button in your podcast app of choice because the more people that subscribe, the more that iTunes and the other platforms can recognize this show, and thus the more people that you and I can inspire to step outside their comfort zones to reach their greatest potential. And now on to today's show, which to be honest is going to be a bit of an experiment. As a longtime listener, you already know how much I love to do in-depth interviews on a variety of topics, whether that's allowing everyday people to share their personal and their inspirational journeys, or industry experts and world-renowned authors who share their expertise to help you optimize a specific area of your life. But today, what I want to do instead is give you an insider's glimpse into the world of my optimizer coaching and mentorship program and what we call the hot seat. What you're going to hear today is a recording of an actual live session with an Optimizer student where on the hot seat, we tackle various questions, whether that's about career transitions, productivity, workflows, networking, burnout, habit formation, resumes and websites, and any other number of work-life challenges that students bring to the table as they navigate their own paths toward success. In the following hot seat session, community member Denise Chan is struggling with perfectionism while she edits. She finds herself consumed with the minutia of the cuts, and she's often bogged down in doubt that her choices are the right choices. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I am all too familiar with this problem. Trust me. Listen in to hear what systems and processes I use to work with perfectionism, doubt, and procrastination that Denise can implement right away in her daily editorial workflow. If you find these sessions valuable, we're going to be sharing Hot Seat Fridays with you every week that are going to be jam-packed with practical, real-world strategies that you can easily apply to your own lifestyle and career to send you off with an action plan for the next Monday ahead. And if after listening to this, you're wishing that you could schedule your own hot seat session, I invite you to join our community of optimizers, where you're going to find all the support and connections you need to optimize every aspect of your life. Just go to optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer to learn more about the various coaching and mentorship options available so you and I can start working together today. All right, without further ado, here's today's Hot Seat Friday session with Denise Chan. And as a quick reminder to subscribe so you don't miss future interviews just like this one, please visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast. Denise, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so following this conversation, I have a pretty rookie one. So whenever I feel like I'm editing, especially 
you know, in the longer form format, I get so sucked into one portion of it. And then I, I, and I know that I'm supposed to kind of like have the bigger picture and, you know, put the scene together. But I have this tendency to ch- just keep going and trying to perfect this little bit, you know, and, and so consumed by that a little bit. And it really bogs me down. And I know I need to keep moving on, but I'm just like, <laughs> so what would be your advice to something like, you know? Oh, yes. Like I love that? this question. <laughs> I spent years, years researching this question and finding a solution to it because I was the same way. As you've probably heard me talk about before, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. The enemy of perfectionism is deadlines. And I'm not talking about the deadline that you have to deliver the show. So let's say that you're an editor doing your first assembly or your first cut of an episode. I'm not saying your deadline in two weeks where you know that you have to deliver your editor's cut. That's useless. That's just this this looming dark cloud that's off in the distance. What you need are hourly deadlines. And this is the reason why I've adopted time blocking and why I teach it is because it is absolutely instrumental for creative people, especially those that get stuck in this idea of analysis paralysis. And this has to be perfect before I move on. So if you know that you have a week and a half to deliver your editor's cut, your brain doesn't understand that you only have a few hours to do this section because you have all of these other sections to do. So you're thinking this one cut, I, I, I've got all day to work on this one cut. I've got a week and a half before I need to deliver this. But if you actually break down your entire episode by all of the work that needs to get done and how much time it's actually going to take to do it, you might realize if I don't have this entire scene done by noon today, I'm not going to have enough time to do everything else that needs to get done for the next week and a half to deliver this on time at the level that I need to deliver it. So I'm giving myself deadlines all day long, every single day in the form of time locks. So I always feel a sense of urgency. So right now with the the episode that I'm in the middle of now, it's just, it's ginormous. It's one of the biggest, uh, biggest episodes of TV that I've ever worked on. And I want to spend all day long just getting this one little five second section of the fight perfect. But I know that if I spend that all day on that one little section, well, then I've got 20 or 30 other minutes of the show that I'm probably not even going to have time to cut. So I'm breaking it down hour by hour by hour where it says that I need to have scene 12 done by noon and scene 37 needs to be done by 2 p.m. And I look at the big picture to see have I allowed myself enough time for the entire stage of the process to meet my deadline, but also to meet my level of expectation at that deadline. So it helps me to better manage my time and better manage my assistant's time. Because what I used to do is think to myself, oh, I've got, I've got plenty of time to do this and I don't feel like cutting today. So I'm, I'm just not going to go through dailies. I'll eventually catch up. And I would eventually catch up. But the only thing that got me into the zone, that got me into a state of creative flow, was the absolute terror of the fact that I'm going to get fired in three days if I don't get through all of this material and deliver on my deadline, which was an awesome ride for those three days. But then I would crash afterwards and it was not sustainable, which is why I started learning all of the things that I teach in this program now. So the short answer is that if you don't want to get bogged down in details, you have to set deadlines for yourself. So, and I talk a lot more about that in uh, module six and seven, specifically of Focus Yourself, where I talk about the how I put together time blocks to get into a state of deep work, and then how I organize them over the course of a day or a week. And one of the things that I was going to do earlier this year, and getting the call from American Ninja Warrior kind of destroyed all of my goals in this sense, uh, but I'm going to be putting together a three-hour workshop that details how I break down a script uh, for an episode of TV and time block it down to the hour over the course of the entire two-week stretch. 
So how I do it digitally, how I take the one-liner, how I turn that into time blocks onto a calendar, and how I create those hourly deadlines. So I'm never working more than nine to 10 hours a day with the exception of the madness that I'm dealing with now. But in general, I don't work for more than about nine or 10 hours a day and I still meet all my deadlines because I don't allow myself to get bogged down forever in small details. So, so when you're given the dailies in a day and you're watching it and you're creating a plan in your head, like how structurally or uh, kind of like cinematically you want to move the story, do, do you have that kind of plan before you even cut it? Because sometimes I feel like, oh yeah, this is a nice way to start it. But then it's like after a few cuts down the line, you're like, no, that's a better plan, you know? And then you, I'm tempted to start over again. And, and so I feel like, <laughs> okay, there's a lot going on. We have to get this done. And then I stress myself <laughs> more than before. Right. So I have a commitment issue, I think. Well, let me ask you this. Maybe it's not a commitment issue so much as it's a process issue. What is your process? If you're handed a scene to cut, what's the first thing you do? Well, I will watch everything. And I like, I like, to, I like to find the best performances. So, you know, I, I am like, I think of it more of performance and the story, like, you know, whose story is this and what, what story am I telling, you know, and then find the best bits of performances to support that, you know, and then structurally, it's like, you know, I need to move that emotions of the scene to the end and have that big punchline to build that towards the end. But it's really, I mean, for me, because I'm not so used to building story that way it's I know that that's my goal but then for me to get there it's kind of tougher like I, I sometimes I get lost in my own I don't really have a process I guess <laughs> I, I know yes, you, you, th- this is a long it. answer to I'm, I don't think yeah. that you confidently have a process that works no. for you yet <laughs> Um, But the first step that you mentioned, this is always the most important step. And I know this is a huge point of contention um, for editors because everybody has their own process. And I'm not going to say that my process is the right one and you should do it the way that I do it because my brain works differently than yours. However, I will argue that in the scripted world, I don't think you can cut the best version of a scene unless you've watched all the material. I just don't think that it's possible. I know a lot of editors, especially in television, where they say, you know what, just organize the last takes for me. And I'll put the scene together. And if they give me notes looking for a better performance, then I'll dig up the other takes. And that just blows my mind. Like how in the world can you call yourself an editor and have any level of confidence that you're delivering the best version of your material if you don't watch everything? That's insane. Oh, there's not enough time. No, you just suck at time management. There's a difference. So I got, for example, for one scene, 20 hours of dailies, Mm -hmm. and I still watched everything. So that way, when I get notes saying, is there a better version of X, Y, or Z, I can say no. Right. So one, one of the jokes that we I think many people have as editors is they say, hey, can you can we use a better take of this? Oh, I'm sorry. I left that in the better takes bin. Silly me. Right now. Best is subjective. Sometimes they'll look at something and say, no, this is the better one. Well, not necessarily. You just have different intentions with this moment or this line. Sure, I'll use the different version. But I'm confident that what I'm showing you are what I believe are the best moments. And again, it's subjective because their best is different than my best, which is why we get notes. But at the end of the day, I have watched everything before I put a single clip into my timeline. While I'm watching all that material, I'm already getting a sense of how I'm going to structure the scene. So I'm cutting it in my head. 
And sometimes it's very obvious as I'm watching it, well, this is where the director wanted to start because it starts from a close-up of a cup and then follows them up and like goes to their first line. So a lot of times the beginning of the scene is evident, other times it's not. But at least when I'm making my decision about where to start the scene, for example, I know all of my options. There are other editors, again, that don't watch the material, where they just start cutting it and then they don't really know what the material is that's available. And they get notes like, why didn't you start the scene on the close-up that, that uh, tilts up from him to the glass to him drinking and saying his first line? Oh, I, I didn't see that. It's your job to see that and know that it exists. So first step, I believe in the scripted world, you need to watch everything so you know what's there. And if for some reason you can't watch everything because of time, then you need to be very communicative with your team. And I've done this before where I've said, if you want the best version of this scene cut, this is how much time I need to do it based on the material that we have. If you want me to just throw something together and meet your deadline, that's fine. But know that I can't watch all of the material and cut the scene you want with the amount that you've given me. As long as they know that, well, then I'm just meeting their level of expectation and that's fine. So step one, above and beyond, I believe that as an editor, it's your duty to watch everything. From there, it's going to deviate to whatever process is going to make the most sense for you and your brain. So I believe that there are two fundamentally different types of editors, and there could be more, but if I were to break it down into two types, there are what I call builders and there are sculptors. A builder is somebody that puts in one piece of the scene at a time and meticulously builds it. It's like, no, I got the first shot right. This is exactly my out point. Then the next shot goes in. This is my end point. And they build it chronologically from left to right. A sculptor is the opposite, where they take everything and they throw it into a giant timeline. And here's five takes of this line in the close-up. And then here's the opposite five takes of the following line in the close-up. And they slowly whittle it down. If I were to say you could only choose between those two types, which one resonates with you more? I would say I'm a builder for sure. I'm definitely a builder. When I see people putting together select sequences that are sculptors, my brain just breaks. Yeah, I, I, I can't. They're not wrong. There's nothing wrong with their process. I just don't get it. I can't work that way. It's too overwhelming for me. But then some see the way that I build a scene. They're like, that makes no sense to me. How can you do it without watching all the takes back to back to back to back to back to back? I'm like, because I just, I can't do it. Uh, Chris, your hand went up. No, I was just going to say that sculpting thing is how I, is a is a is a huge part of how I learned to cut as an assistant. Is I worked for an editor for years that I would watch all the dailies with him, and he would take notes, and then give me the notes, and I would build those sequences with the five takes of this line and put everything in order, and then he would cut it, and he quickly gave me those scenes to cut after I built that, and I realized. How easy to, I mean, it takes you 45 minutes to cut a scene once all that work is done. And exactly. And three hours to do all that work. Yeah, you know, so. right. So it's at the you end of the day, that. that way of doing it is not wrong. It's wrong for me. Right, right. I'm just and saying that's how I learned. If you can train sure. your assistant to do that, it's super helpful. Exactly. But but then it, it's going to bog down the, the uh, amount of time that they have to do other things. Mm -hmm. Right. So as, as an editor, one of your jobs, I believe, and this is another thing that goes back to Michael's original question about communication and collaboration. Um, I believe that it's my duty to best manage my assistant editor's time. And I think that a lot of editors are really bad at that. And they give their assistants or the frankly, the producers will give the assistants a lot of busy work that isn't really the best or most effective use of an assistant editor's time. For me to ask my assistant to build out a select sequence for every single scene where they string out all the takes and they have kind of their, their sculpted version of the scene, for me, that's a giant waste of time. 
For other editors, an absolute necessity for their process. So I'm not right and they're not wrong, we're just different. My sincerest apologies for the interruption in the middle of this interview. But if you are a content creator or you work in the entertainment industry, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life because collaborating with Evercast is that powerful. Here's a brief excerpt from a recent interview that I did with Evercast co-founders, Brad Thomas and award-winning editor, Roger Barton. Living this lifestyle of a feature film editor has really had an impact on me. So I was really looking for something to push back against all of these lifestyle infringements that are imposed on us, both by schedules and expectations. When you guys demoed Evercast for me that first time, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, oh my God, this is what I have been waiting for for a decade. I also had the same reaction when I first saw Evercast. Two words came to mind, game changer. Our goal, honestly, is to become the Zoom for creatives, whatever it is you're streaming, whether it's editorial, visual effects, pro tools for music composition, live shot cameras. It's consistent audio and video, lip sync always stays in sync. Whether you're in a live session where you're getting that feedback immediately or you can't get it immediately, so you record the session and you can share those clips with people on the production team where there's no room for any confusion. It's like, this is exactly what the director wants. This is exactly what the producer wants. What matters most to me is it makes the entire process more efficient, which then translates to us as creatives who spend way too much time in front of computers. We get to shut it down and we get to go spend time with our friends and family. The biggest complaint, and I'm sure you guys have heard this many, many times, this looks amazing, I just can't afford it. Tesla had to release the Model S before they released the Model 3. So by the end of the year, we are going to be releasing a sub $200 version a month of Evercast for the freelancer and indie creatives. Anyone who is a professional video creator outside of Hollywood. I think what we've learned over the last few months is that this technology can translate to better lives for all of us that give us more flexibility and control while still maintaining the creativity, the creative momentum, and the quality of work. I cannot stress this enough. Evercast is changing the way that we collaborate. If you value your craft, your well-being, and spending quality time with the ones you love, Evercast now makes that possible for you and me. To listen to the full interview and learn about the amazing potential that Evercast has to change the way that you work and live, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Evercast. Now back to today's interview. Another area that I feel is tremendously beneficial for some uh, assistant editors and editors that I find to be a complete waste of time is script sync. The reason being that my assistant editor only has so many hours a day and where I want their attention is either helping me to assemble scenes or doing really, really detailed sound work such that as we discussed at the beginning of the call, my first editor's cut is broadcast ready. Because I'm fast enough, I don't need script sync and I don't need select sequences built. Because as a builder, what I can do, and it's not the case for every single scene, but in general, I've been doing the time blocking for so long that if I string out all of my dailies into what's called a chem roll, and I know Chris, you and I talked about this, and you're like, you know what a chem roll is? And like, oh yeah, I live and breathe my by chem rolls. And every new assistant editor, I say, can you build me a chem roll? And they're like, I don't know what that is. They don't realize how simple it is to build one. It takes like three minutes for a scene. Uh, but the point is for anybody that doesn't know what a chem roll is, is back from the days of the actual chem uh, editing system where you take all the dailies for a scene, you put it on one giant roll and you just watch all of them. So I watch everything chronologically in a sequence. I just hit the play button and I sit on my couch and I watch because I'm the first audience member on the planet that gets to see this in a screen. 
So I want to know how am I reacting to it? Because I trust that as a fan of whatever show I'm working on, my reactions are going to be relatively analogous to my audience's. So going back to step one, I watch the whole scene. And then as I'm watching the whole scene and all the dailies chronologically, the way that they're shot, I see the evolution of the scene. And I understand, oh, well, you know, they started with kind of a funny tone, but I could hear the director talking to the actors. And by the end of it, he made the tone of the, the scene more serious. So I certainly don't want to make the mistake of making the scene funny, even though it might read that way on paper, because I can see the director chronologically took it to a different tone. So that's one of the ways for me to better understand how does the director want to approach this? If I'm just randomly pulling the last take of stuff based on what I think is the order it goes in, I don't see the evolution of the scene on set. So that's why I lay out the camera roll. And based on the length of the camera roll, I can usually tell you how long it's going to take me to cut the scene. So part of my process is my assistant editor will put right on the bin name the length of the chem roll to the second. And that scene name has a card in Trello that connects to my calendar that also has the length of the chem roll. So without even opening Avid, all I have to do is open my calendar. I see a bunch of cards for the day with the scene name and the length of the chem roll, and I can time block it. And again, it's not always correct because sometimes there are scenes where an actor had a hard time remembering their lines or the blocking is weird and there are challenges. But if it's a fairly straightforward scene, I know that whatever the length of the camera roll is, I can cut the scene in double that amount of time. So if I have a 30-minute camera roll, I can cut the scene in an hour. If I have a two-hour camera roll, that's probably half a day. It's going to take me about four hours to cut that scene. But again, that's part of my process, knowing that as a builder, all I have to do is watch the camera roll and I start editing. My assistant editor doesn't need select sequences. I don't need to build select sequences. I watch the dailies and I cut because I already know what pieces that I want to use. Right, because it sounds like the camera is, you know, just everything that you get, you know, on a timeline. And then if you're making a select from that camera, then it's a separate sequence from that, right? And and I, I feel like I have so many sequences like when I watch something, like I do try to put green little markers, like, oh, I like this shot. I like this take, you know, but then I end up having so many sequences. <laughs> Where are all the sequences? So is, is it a surprise to you then that you're getting bogged down in details? No. I'm, I'm, that, it tells me your process is too complex. Here's yeah. something that I, w I want you to, to test yourself with. Do you have anything that you can actually work on today or have you already wrapped on your job? I wrapped on my job. Do you have anything you can work with? Any kind of raw dailies of anything? Not today. I, I'm i actually, well, I'm actually in Washington right now. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow I'm going up to like a really remote area. I'm going to stay there for a couple of weeks. So today would probably be my last good internet day. And then from tomorrow onwards, I might not even be able to turn on my screen, but I will come to class. So <laughs> that's the deal. So I don't think I'm, I, and I'm going to be driving for the rest of the day after the class. So I, I don't think I will be able to try or test anything. So what, what I would do when you do have the time, uh, and this is uh, very much the athlete side of me coming into the, the creative side. What I do is I create drills for myself. Mm -hmm. So if you were a football player or a basketball player, what you don't do at practice is just play the game. Because when you just play the game, if you have bad habits, you're just going to perpetuate those bad habits. So what do they do at practice? If you're a basketball player, you might spend an hour just dribbling. You mm -hmm. might spend an hour just shooting free throws or running laps or whatever it might be because you're trying to drill good habits into your brain. Because when game time comes, you don't rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training. 
Right. Right. Your 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 automatic brain just kicks in, and the so if you're in the middle of an edit session or you're under pressure, then you're going to resort to whatever your habits are, because mm-hmm. your executive function starts to shut down. So what I have tried to do through years and years of practice is drill myself so I can learn better habits as an editor or as an athlete. An example would be that earlier in my career, I would spend hours just teaching myself keyboard commands and learning how do I hit all the keyboard commands I want without looking down at my keyboard. And I would just drill that. And then I would rearrange my keyboard accordingly and create hotkeys so I could be as efficient as possible. So an example of this, and I won't go too deep into it, but one of the things that people always talk about when they're assigning their custom keyboard commands is mnemonics. Well, S should be for slide and C should be for cut and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I always argue against this. People make this choice because it's easier to remember. I want to choose something that's the most efficient for the length of my finger to that key based on how often I use it, right? So an example would be that, on again, I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole because I could talk about this for hours because I'm a total nerd, uh, but it goes back to this concept of drilling. When you look at the way the default Avid keyboard is set up, insert and overwrite, they at least used to be V and B. Maybe they've moved, but I know that on the older keyboards, that's where they were. And on the old version of Final Cut, they were F9 and F10. For me, F9 and F10 work better because of my finger placement and how quickly I can get there without having to look at my keyboard. So for me, even though it may not be the default, that makes the most sense to me. So I drilled myself for years and rearranged my keyboard constantly, where if there were one key that I found myself hitting all day long, but I had to keep looking down, a perfect example would be that uh, in the old Final Cut Pro, S is for slip. But I kept wanting to use, and part of the the caveat I should mention for this is that I'm left-handed. So most people have their left hand on the keyboard and their right hand on the mouse. I'm the opposite. I have right hand on keyboard, left hand is a weight compound. Right, so my keyboard memory is different than others would be. So for a right-handed editor that has their left hand on the keyboard, S for slip is easy, that's right here, you don't have to look down. For me, I would have to look down and move my index finger, my right index finger to the S, and like, that's not working for me, it's taking too long. So I would drill those things. Another thing that I would drill, and this is gonna be more specific to what I was gonna mention for you, is I would force myself to spend an hour cutting a scene and building it from beginning to end but I couldn't go back and change the edits. So I would say for 60 minutes, I'm only going to allow myself to build forwards, which means that I have to be a lot more selective about my initial in point and out points, and I have to think a lot more about the choices that I'm making. Because guess what? This is how they did it for decades before we had nonlinear digital editing where you could change anything and finesse and move this, oh, change this or that. You actually had to think and strategize before you started. So I would think to myself, if I am not going to allow myself to redo an edit for an hour, I need to make good enough choices to be able to proceed forwards. So I had to do a lot deeper scene analysis. This is actually a trick that I learned from uh, one of my mentors, Alan Bell, who I know that uh, Stephen on on this call knows Alan very well. Um, But this is something that I drilled myself on. Because now for me, if I know that, oh my God, I've only got an hour to cut the scene, that's not a problem. I've already done that. I have the confidence that I put myself in a position where I can make the decision once, I can move forwards, then I can watch the scene once or twice, finesse it, and I'm done. But again, that's also because I'm a builder editor. A sculptor could probably never go through that process without losing their mind because that's not how they've learned to cut a scene, which again, not better or worse, just different. But if you know that you're a builder, what I would try to, to build better habits is I would try cutting a scene from beginning to end without having the ability to go back and make changes. 
and just see where you get stuck. See where you become really frustrated with that process, allowing yourself to get frustrated, but just being aware of it. If you don't have the pressure or the deadlines, use it as a learning experience. And as you go through it, you're going to start to develop new and better habits. Yeah, I think that's really great. It's like, you know, giving myself that time constraint and just, you know, working out that way. Yeah. I mean, every time I try to do that, it's like, and then I fail at like giving my sticking to that one hour time constraint and getting distracted. Because I think I'm just, I'm trying to find a more efficient way of cutting and I have, I'm a naturally a builder, but then I like what Chris was saying, like doing that thing so that everything is really laid out. And then, you know, like I can see where are the things that I don't have to go back because as a builder, I find myself having to go search for, I think I remember this thing, you know, and I want to use it. So I am <laughs> I'm flip-flopping between the two strategies and which is something I think, yeah, you're right. I need to kind of work it out as a training, as like a ninja kind of training. Mm-hmm. Rather than to wait till like you have something and you have to perform the level of practice rather than, yeah. Exactly. Because you're, you're going to learn real fast under pressure where your training is working and where it isn't working. This is essentially my first season on American Ninja Warrior in a nutshell was me discovering in about five seconds. Oh, I see where my training is lacking. Yep. Now I understand. So now I have a lot of different things to work on for the next year because I was focused solely on certain areas of my training because that's what I felt needed the most work. And at the time it did. But now after going through my first season, I realized immediately, all right, this is an area I have not trained at all. And it bit me in the ass very, very quickly. So now my training needs to shift. What I didn't do is say, oh, well, I'm a failure. I can't do this. It was instead a failure of my training. So a lot of times what I find with people that feel that they're flailing or they're failing in their editing or their creative work, they're not the failure. They just have a really crappy process. And it sounds to me like your process needs work. And if you force yourself to do some of these things, you're going to become more aware. Like an example would be where you said, well, you know, if I were to give myself an hour, that seems like a lot, but I get so distracted. Well, maybe a part of your process that doesn't work is how you're eliminating distractions from your creative process. So if you say, well, there's no way that I can edit a scene in an hour. Well, maybe it's because you have your phone next to you and you're still hearing your notifications and chimes. It could be as small as that. Again, you're not a bad editor. You're not a failure. Your process just isn't honed enough. So think about it as a process or a workflow, go through it, see what isn't working and fix all of those little things. I still, to this day, will change my process where I'm like, you know what? I keep getting stuck on this thing and it's slowing me down. I need to fix this, which sometimes will drive my assistants crazy because they'll build out a whole process or ask anybody on my team, like poor Glenn, like he gets this from me all the time where we think we've got it. And then a month later, I'm like, no, I want to fix this because this is still kind of sticky and this isn't quite working. All right, well, then we get to fix everything all over again. But again, it all comes back to the the name of this program. It's all about optimization. What's the next little thing that can be fixed? What's the next little thing that can be fixed? And on and on and so forth. Knowing that it's always about progression and never perfection because I'm never going to get there. So yeah. just think, what's the, the next most important part of my process that if I were to fix it, things are going to get easier? But another thing I want to reframe that I think is important for you and everybody else to hear as well, and I talk about this a lot in Focus Yourself, is you said, I'm trying to become more efficient. I don't want you to be more efficient. I want you to be more effective. There's a huge difference between the two. Have you ever watched a TV show that you really enjoyed and at the end of it said, man, that team must be really efficient? No. No, because you have no idea. But can you judge whether or not their work was effective? Yeah. 
Yes. Absolutely. So think, how can I make choices in my process to make me a more effective editor? Because I guarantee you there are a lot of editors out there way more efficient than I am that have their little gaming commands and their 25 macros. And they're like, well, you know, what, what, what do you use on Cobra Kai? I'm like, my keyboard. Like, I, I do nothing fancy. Well, what, what are all the fancy plugins that... I use nothing. I don't use Boris. I don't use Sapphire. I just cut. I'm, I'm a very simple, boring editor. But I've learned how to be very effective with the choices that I make. And because I'm effective with my time, I get to do all the stuff that the audience is going to feel for way more time than other editors might that get sucked down into their process. Yeah, it's the process. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the process. So I, I make use of my 9 to 12-hour days much more effectively than a lot of other editors. And that is seen on the screen and it's felt on the screen because I get to spend more time doing things that have an emotional impact on the audience rather than all the things that make me efficient behind the scenes, but don't give me enough time to necessarily uh, convey the emotional effectiveness that I would want. So think, how can I be a more effective editor? Love it, gonna take that and run with it. Before closing up today's show, I would love to ask for just a couple additional minutes of your time and attention to introduce you to one of my new favorite products created by my good friend Kit Perkins, who you may recognize as creator of the Topomat. Here is a brief excerpt from a recent interview that I did with ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins talking about his latest product, New Standard Whole Protein. I'm into health and fitness generally, but I want it to be simple and straightforward. About a year, year and a half ago, I started adding collagen into my protein shakes. And man, the benefits were like more dramatic than any supplement I've ever seen. So I thought if I could just get this down to coming out of one jar and it's ingredients that I know I can trust and you just put it in water and you don't have to think about it. When people think of protein powders, they think, well, I don't want to get big and bulky. And that's not what this is about. To me, this is about repair. So a big part of what we're talking about here is you are what you eat. Your body's constantly repairing and rebuilding and the only stuff it can use to repair and rebuild is what you've been eating unfortunately as the years have gone by every day getting out of bed it's like you know two or three creaks and pops in the first couple steps and that i thought you just sort of live with now but yeah once starting the collagen daily or near daily it's just gone so for us job 1a here was make sure it's high quality and that's grass-fed 100 pasture-raised cows and then the second thing if you're actually going to do it every day it needs to be simple it needs to taste good well my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer, number one, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. Number two, they've got a glass of new standard protein next to them so they can just fuel their body, fuel their brain. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. And even better for your listeners with code OPTIMIZE on either a one-time purchase or that first subscribe and save order, 50% off. So if you do that subscribe and save, that's 20% off and 50% off with code OPTIMIZE. That's a fantastic deal. If you're looking for a simple and affordable way to stay energetic, focused, and alleviate the chronic aches and pains that come from living at your computer, I recommend New Standard Whole Protein because it's sourced from high-quality ingredients that I trust and it tastes great. To place your first order, visit optimizeyourself.me slash newstandard and use the code OPTIMIZE for 50% off your first order. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Hot Seat Fridays. If you find this new format valuable, please reach out and let us know. 
Just go to optimizeyourself.me slash contact to leave your honest feedback. And if after listening, you are wishing that you could schedule your own hot seat session, I invite you to join our community of optimizers, where you are going to find all of the support and connections you need to optimize every aspect of your life. Just go to optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer to learn more about the various coaching and mentorship options available so you and I can start working together. And as a quick reminder to subscribe so you don't miss future interviews just like this one, please visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast. And a special thanks to our sponsors Evercast and ErgoDriven for making today's interview possible. To learn more about how to collaborate remotely without missing a frame and to get your real-time demo of Evercast in action, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Evercast. And to learn more about ErgoDriven and their brand new product that I am super excited about, New Standard Whole Protein, visit optimizeyourself.me slash New Standard. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, healthy, and sane, and be well.